Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, and you're hearing our new Just For You podcast music. And I'm so thankful and grateful to you for tuning into our show as a podcast listener. I hope that it's a great experience for you every time you tune in. Coming up in just 20 minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, we the American people are so generous. We give so much money to charity, more probably than anybody else on earth, and that makes us susceptible to scamsters. Today I want to talk about fake cancer charities in today's Clark Rage. And later this hour, Americans have gone to Cuba in the largest numbers since 1959 or 58, and now there's a change coming in the policy for you to be able to travel to Cuba. I want to tell you how it works. I've had so many questions from people wanting to go to Cuba. I'm going to tell you how it all plays out for you taking a trip to Cuba. Right now, I want to talk about the trip to a supermarket that Amazon is aiming to change to the supermarket coming to you. With Amazon attempting to buy Whole Foods, and we'll see if other suitors come along, stocks of others got just clobbered. Kroger, Costco Wholesale, to name two big players, Walmart took a glancing blow. Walmart is the largest seller of grocers in the country, selling roughly one in five grocery items purchased in the United States each year. And Costco has been of late, if you can believe stats, the largest seller of organics in the United States. And so Costco is considered to be very vulnerable to Amazon owning Whole Foods. And that's because Costco, Amazon, and Whole Foods all serve generally ultra-high-income customers. Costco serving price-sensitive ones, Amazon, and Whole Foods serving more wealthy people who don't really care that much about price. So Amazon Prime members are so close overall to a Whole Foods store that by estimates 95% of Amazon Prime members are within 10 miles of a Whole Foods. Right now only somewhere approaching 2% of groceries in the United States are delivered. The other 98 plus percent we go to the store, we pick out the items and we buy them or people are doing the Walmart pickup where you go to the Walmart store for the order you've ordered and it's waiting for you at a special place where you pick it up. So groceries so far have been resistant to the whole idea of delivery that Amazon is all about. And so people are speculating wildly about whether Amazon will figure this out like they have other things. But the thing you need to know is that you and I as consumers are the ones that really win. Because as we have had more and more competition with traditional supermarket players, a lot of traditional supermarkets that 
were not doing a good job have closed location after location or gone bankrupt and the whole chain has gone away. And so the competition that Aldi has brought, Lidl is bringing, Amazon might bring, Costco has brought, all these players have come up with different ways to make you happy. And so that's the core and the key. Businesses don't change without external threat. And the external threat that these various players has meant have brought better things to you and me, and this one is going to bring lower prices. No matter how else this plays out, you and I will benefit in the wallet. You know, the reason Whole Foods was in so much financial difficulty and has been performing so poorly is Whole Foods has been a fortune to shop in. A fortune. And the number of people going to Whole Foods stores, the count has been going down and down. It's people like, well, the stores sure are pretty, but I can't afford to pay this, that, or the other. And so no matter who ends up with Whole Foods, it's going to have a radical change in how it does business, ultimately, and lower prices are going to be part of the result of that. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Hey, Howard. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jim. You are thinking of hiring a company to do what at your home? Well, we were invited to a nice dinner at a local restaurant along with about 18 other people, and we were shown products that were supposed to help you recuperate uh, recoup 23% of your unused electricity and eliminate the negative harmonics in your home and you know it's it's their negative main harmonics is like for your wait, attic. Wait, time out please what are negative harmonics i have no idea i wrote that down i'm going to have to i'm on uh, fpl here where i live so i'm going to have to call them and find out wow so there's so much unused electricity in your house and some of these things that attach to your uh your socket you, you know your uh, power panel uh, some you just plug into the wall. Uh, their main product is the installation. To me, it looks like aluminum foil that you just roll up in your attic over the top of everything else. And, I mean, they talk about saving up to 23 25% of your power bill, and I just wonder why I hadn't heard about this before. Well, okay, so this is a very clever marketing of a number of simple home energy conservation strategies that you can either hire someone to do individually or many of them you can do yourself at a tiny fraction of the cost of hiring this company for their system systematic kind of reduction of energy costs in your home. Everything they sell, if they, the way they can pay for the presentations and the free dinners and all that is by charging you a lot of money under a contract to provide energy efficiency solutions in your home. I guess if they worked, uh, you know, it would be easy just to pay them to do it and leave it there. But I just, I, I really suspect that there might be something not quite 100% truthful in their promises. It's 100% true that in the typical American home, you could reduce energy consumption somewhere between 20 and 30% with a few relatively simple steps. Not by paying somebody thousands of dollars to come do something that you'll question your whole life. Well, whether you pay somebody or do them yourself, 
it is true they're not lying that uh, that you could potentially reduce your energy consumption by that much without any heavy lift i mean you think about for heating and cooling simply by getting proper insulation in your home which almost no american home has the right amount of insulation that alone can make a big difference in your energy bills uh, putting in a uh, one of these smart thermostats with nest leading the pack but there are several of these that now offer artificial intelligence to regulate heating and cooling in your home and those alone can reduce the heating and cooling cost in your home from if you uh, if you're lazy with them 15 percent maybe of your current heating and cooling energy bill to if you really use them as much as a third of your heating and cooling bills. So, what is the best investment, blown in or a roll-on? Actually, today there's a belief in people that, that live this as a business that neither of those are the most energy efficient for doing insulation, that it's now a foamy kind of thing that looks like it's something out of the original Ghostbusters movie. Okay. And I don't know if you've seen that, but those fill every nook and cranny of air. I have installed the foamy stuff, and it really does look like it's out of the original Ghostbusters movie. (laughs) Okay, I'll look into that. I think I want to do this on my own. Well, if you want to do things on your own, then you will get great results from doing the insulation yourself in your house, which would be rolling, you know, the rolled installation. So what you'd usually do as an end-user consumer, putting in the smart thermostat, doing the caulking and weather stripping around your windows and doors, if you do those three things, you'll have major impact on the utility bills at your home. I know I'm taking up a lot of your time, but I also, it's an older house and I have rollout windows. Would it be wiser for me to try to caulk them and, and uh, or should I just replace them? Almost certainly caulk them, don't replace them. Even though they're highly inefficient, windows don't account for enough of your heating and cooling costs to spend generally the money to replace them. Okay. The other steps you can take are much more important as far as reducing your overall energy bill from heating and cooling. Richard's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Richard, we're taking a huge U-turn here with Topic. You want to talk about how you pick a nursing home, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was just uh, trying to examine what um, the what to look for, red flags, uh, it, you know, for family members uh, uh, that uh, are getting on with their age and that might be a future possibility in their life. And uh, so I'm just doing some research for them. I want to see what your thoughts were on that. Well, I feel... Uh, very strongly that we as consumers are incapable of selecting a nursing home on our own. Okay. And there are uh, specialists that, you know, the amount of money of going into a nursing home is so huge that hiring a specialist to help with placement is teensy tiny down payment money to try to do the right thing for a relative. 
and there, uh, there are people known as geriatric social workers that this is what they do all day long. Okay. So when, when people look at assisted living, when they look at nursing homes, particularly people that are not at a point they need a skilled nursing home, it seems that the tours of the properties and the colorful brochures seem to have more impact on where people go than whether or not a place is specifically a good place for your loved one to be. Right. And a, a geriatric social worker, and you want one in the area where the individual will likely be in a nursing home, will know just about every single facility in a metro area and will know which places tend to be staffed best, which ones do a best uh, do their best third shift, you know, overnight and on the weekends, which seems to be the weakest link with both assisted living and also uh, with nursing homes. Right. And yeah. so I have a guide on Clark.com that we put up uh, in late in early spring, which is how to find a geriatric expert. And the title they go by is Geriatric Care Manager. And you could Google that term for the area where you're looking to find a placement or just go look at our guide and you'll be able to find how you get somebody based on zip code near where the individual will likely live in a nursing home. But for us as lay people trying to pick one, well, you might as well uh, play a game of dice or something because it's that hard for us. It's time for today's Clark Rageous Moment. It infuriates me when someone has their hard-earned money ripped off by a crook pretending to be a charity. And it happens again and again and again. And now a fake breast cancer charity has been busted. I want to talk about this right now with you. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. So now a charity called the Breast Cancer Survivor Foundation has gotten in trouble with the law because they were collecting millions of dollars per year talking about how they were helping patients with breast cancer. And what was actually happening was the money was being scarfed up and not going to people with breast cancer except for a token amount. In fact, it looks like four cents of every dollar was going to actual charity. 96% was being run off with. And this is an all-too-frequent occurrence. I ask you, please, not to stop being generous. But instead, when you're thinking of giving to a charity know that it is a real charity and that they're legitimately and wisely spending the money you've worked so hard for to be put to the cause that you intend it to be part of. And that's really easy. There are organizations 
that rate and review organizations that say they're charities. First, to make sure they are properly set up legitimate charities. And then second, for you to be able to see, do they spend the money that you give wisely? There's Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, Give.org are just three examples of groups that go through the hard work of making sure that the money that you give is truly going to the service intended or that you think is intended instead of some fish tale that somebody's telling saying that they're doing all this good stuff and they're just making up a big fat lie to line their pockets with your money instead of serving the cause that you believe in. Be careful. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clark.com slash ask is where you go to ask questions. And our podcast is new and improved. You can get to it from Clark.com, Spotify, iHeart, Apple, Google Play, you name it, you can listen to our new and improved, I hope you find it improved too, podcast. So new, depending on your perspective, either improved or not improved, policy on Americans traveling to Cuba was announced by President Trump, and the new policy tightens who is able to go there. And Americans have been going in far greater numbers than I expected. A huge spike in the number of Americans going to see Cuba, probably at this point out of curiosity more than anything else, because infrastructure in Cuba really isn't up to it yet. But under the new rules, you will not be able to just decide, hey, I want to go and buy an airline ticket. And now you're going to have to be part of some kind of organized tour or activity. Uh, The tours and activities run by the Cuban military, and you're going to have to go through one of those instead of traveling on your own. So I suspect that a lot of the new air links to Cuba will fade away after the summer the new rules will are months away but i think that the airlines will start flying with a lot of empty seats and that the air travel will greatly reduce from the u.s to cuba and what will still be strong and get stronger are the cruise ships going to cuba the cruise ships seem to be the perfect situation for the current state of American-Cuban relations because the cruise ships can easily make Cuba as part of its itinerary and all the big cruise lines now are sailing to Cuba and they're taking huge numbers of people to Cuba. But one of the big infrastructure problems in Cuba is the hotel stock is pretty lousy. So a cruise ship going into a Cuban port is able to dock there and potentially, like Norwegian is staying with overnights 
at dock in Cuba. And so the ship is your hotel. A lot of other cruise lines are just coming into port for the day, but I think that will move steadily more towards the Norwegian cruise line model where you'll just dock and you'll be able to stay in Cuba during the day for potentially a few days, but you'll live on the ship. Now, the cruise lines actually got to be thrilled with the changes that are going to come into effect with President Trump's change on Cuba policy because the cruise lines make big money if you buy shore excursions from them and lose that revenue if you travel independently. So under the new rules, the cruise lines will make deals with the, uh, with the Cuban military and will mark up the tours that will be operated by the Cuban military of the island. And so there will still be the ability for Americans to go, and uh, it'll be a different experience than producer Kim had when she went and toured independently. But if you want to have the freedom of, of going independently, either by cruise ship or by flying in, I would say get it done in the next three months, or you'll have to wait till our policy with Cuba changes yet again. And the idea of the embargo of Cuba for all the years was to try to force a change in the brutal communist dictatorship that the Castros have run. The idea of the opening and engagement more recently was the idea of creating change in the dictatorship in Cuba. Both policies to this point have been total failures. And it may be that we just don't have enough leverage to be part of influencing that change in Cuba and that it's going to have to wait for the Cuban people themselves to rise up against communism, which doesn't seem like it's really happening yet. But you never know when the revolution starts and what the trigger is that brings about change. Andy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Andy. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Andy. You are thinking of being an Uber or Lyft driver. Correct. I recently retired, and I don't need the money, but I like driving, and I like people. And I, uh, I would never consider being a cab driver because, you know, they work 12-hour shifts, 6 to 6 or 6 to 6, neither of which would work for me. Plus, you don't know who you're picking up. Yeah, you know, we don't really ever talk about how brave you have to be to be a cab driver. Because cab drivers have a level of vulnerability that you think about the jobs different people do. Yeah. They are they are potentially more vulnerable in their profession than anybody else out there. I mean, they're facing forward. And even if a cab driver was packing a weapon, the reality is they have their hands on the steering wheel looking forward, and next thing they know there could be a gun pointed right at their heads. So exactly, yeah. it's a it's a very gutsy profession, let's call it. Well, since you travel so much, 
<clears throat> and you do it with flair, and you do it with economy. I was wondering if you... I'm impressed by the flair part. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my whole family enjoys your show, and my 16-year-old son and I listen to you in the afternoon on the way home from school, and he has told me that um, you and I must be related because we're both pretty frugal. But um, Well, see, I go past frugal. I'd say I'm cheap. I do, too, in my head, but I wouldn't say it out loud. Okay. I'm willing to shame myself and say that I'm cheap. <laughs> See, the difference between frugal and cheap is if you're cheap, you're willing to accept lower quality for a lower price, and that is me. Okay. But you're thinking of this as <laughs> being on the other side, being the driver. Right. But and, I wondered, in your experience, you probably uh, chat them up. And I wondered if you found that uh, one type of driver was more satisfied with their their work than the other, you know. And, and I don't know if there's other companies besides Lyft or Uber, and I haven't taken the time to check them out on the internet. The two t- the two combined own almost 100 percent of the market. There are some okay. scattered places like Austin, Texas, where there are independents offering car riding services, but. Generally, it is a two-horse race with Uber and Lyft. Lyft has been taking market share from Uber lately, and that's because of two things. Drivers have liked the fact that with Lyft, it's easier for people to tip you. Mm -hmm. And the second is that there are people who are mad at Uber for some of the problems they've had in the executive suite. Right. And so they've, for that reason, they've started riding with Lyft instead of Uber. Well, now, but, I am just a flat-out capitalist, you know? So what I do, I have both apps on my phone. And before I get uh, a car, I use the, how you can check on each one of them the estimated price for that ride. Oh, I heard you say that the other day, yeah. So I grab whichever's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Now, there are drivers that drive for both. You can? Yes, and a lot drive for both, um, at least initially, to figure out which is going to earn them more money. Mm -hmm. And both Uber and Lyft offer incentives to drivers who drive a decent number of hours a week to try to get you to dump the other and only drive for them. So I think it's best at first to qualify to be a driver for both, Andy, Okay. And then you'll figure out over time if you want to continue to drive for both or go exclusive with one versus the other. May I share an interesting anecdote? Sure. Well, I, uh, I never meet a stranger, so I don't remember even where I was, but I was talking to somebody that I, I know. I think it might have been at the grocery store, and they said that when they were in the Keys at uh, Pennacamp, which is the middle... Uh, what's it called? Yeah, John Pennycamp State Reef Park or whatever. Yeah. I got the worst sunburn of my life there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, you're, you're closer to the sun. Uh, but anyway, they chose, uh, they used an Uber down there, and the driver actually lived in Miami, but she told them that you can't make a living in Miami as an Uber driver because it's too saturated. And the people in the Keys, it's an easy drive, you know, and she drives down every morning from South Miami, and she works in the you know uh, Key Largo area, and she said the people tip well. So I, I don't know how that'll work here in Daytona. 
but we do have the uh, the event seasons. And so I'll continue to look into it. And um, Let me say something else to you as well. As you become more experienced as a driver, there are a number of uh, bloggers that write for drivers. And we have one... Uh, does he still write for us on Clark.com, Joel? Yeah, there's a guy named Harry who operates a blog called The Rideshare Guy. And he does write for us from time to time. And so you can look at these blogs, and as you become experienced, and it won't take you that many weeks till you are going to have a lot of questions. you got to get out there driving first. You want to see what the bloggers are saying as ways that you can uh, raise your income, like you were talking about somebody driving from South Miami down to the Keys. But whatever those tricks are that'll work for you in Daytona, that should score you a higher income per hour. And so there is some amount of art to it. And also the reviews you get are very important over time as a driver. Timo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, Clark. Uh, Doing great. How are you doing? Good. You're going to buy your first home. Well, that's the plan, at least. (laughs) How can I be of service with that? I, first, I just want to thank you for uh, all of your great advice. I've been an avid listener uh, for two years now and learned a lot from you. So thanks so much. Thank you. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, essentially, I just want to kind of give you a brief overview of my current living situations and then uh, kind of get your advice on um, where to go next. Um, so essentially, I'm living with a really good friend from high school, um, in Denver, and he's giving me a great um, month-to-month uh, living situation, and uh, it's very, very cheap. Um, i, I got to put it that way. <laughs> um, so I'm spending about 20% of my monthly gross income on rent right now. Um, but uh, based off of my pre-qualification letter that I've gotten through the through, I know you're going to hate this, but I got it through a mega bank. That's I, okay. I, That's okay. I, <laughs> I compared a lot of different uh, lenders, and they just gave me the best rate. So, um, but anyway, essentially, I'd jump from 20% to 35, roughly 38%, depending on the price of the home, of course. Um, so, I just wanted your kind of your opinion as far as how much percent of your grossly monthly income? That is a great question. And the way I think about it is if you are spending more than a third of your income just on mortgage, are you going to be able to handle your other bills? Right, right. And what's the answer uh, to that? I, I would say yes. Um, if, you can, if you can do that, then it is a personal decision whether you proceed with buying a house, because you've got such a sweetheart deal right now mm-hmm. that unless you feel a strong urge to own a home, you're better off continuing to rent from your friend. Right. Yeah, and I will say I got to give a shout out to my parents, especially my dad. He's helping me out with the down payment um, on the home, and I have no uh, student loan debts, thanks to my dad. And um, if you're if you're going into this with no meaningful debt, and you want to go up to as high as thirty five percent of income, you'll wheeze a little bit, but you'll be okay. But again, it has to be because you want to own a home, because the economics would say 
keep doing the deal with your buddy. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. Yeah, Clark, Bob wrote it and he says, what is the best company for low-cost cell phones plus low-cost cell phone service? Okay, so historically I have said that RepublicWireless.com was the best deal out there if you are a moderate user of a cell phone. Their most popular plan, $20 a month for unlimited talk and text. And you get one gig of data a month, but the way their network works, that usually is enough for most users at 20 a month. But the phone itself may cost you more, although now with Republic Wireless, a bunch of different phones do work. Check out republicwireless.com. For a couple, Metro PCS is the best deal going now. $50 a month. Gets you two lines of service with two gigs of data each. And right now they're offering a free cell phone for each line if you sign up with them. So it's a screaming deal at 50 a month. All right. And Brian wrote in. He says, Clark, I love the show. I've been an UMA subscriber since 2009. Grandfathered in with free phone for life with the UMA hub. The service has become unusable, though, with robocalls multiple times a day. And it seems like the only solution is to pay for the premier service, which costs $10 a month to block those calls. The problem with the robocalls is just horrendous for all of us. I've noticed on my cell phone that there's been a dramatic increase and the number of robocalls, and this is something that begs for a solution. T-Mobile has been doing one for its customers, but as far as UMA, they got to get with it as well. We'll be right back. Glad you've had an opportunity to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you keeping more of what you make. Coming up in a half hour, the dilemma we face as parents with our kids With technology around everywhere, is it messing with our kids' heads? What should we do about it? Clark.com is our web address, and when you have a question for me, clark.com slash ask. And I don't mention enough that we have free off-the-air advice available for you as well. That's available 45 hours a week. You get to talk with a member of Team Clark for nothing. And at Clark.com, you'll see how to get that free off-the-air advice and what number to call. I want to talk about getting good internet in your home is getting so much easier. It's crazy the change that's taken place in the last year that generally people are not aware of. And it's because of an enormous technology breakthrough for homes that is generally referred to as wireless mesh. You go into any electronics store or into a warehouse club, you'll see the systems that allow you to blanket your house with whatever internet comes in from the street, from the cable monopoly or the phone monopoly, whatever strength of signal and speed comes in, you then have that to every corner of your home. And these systems are getting better and getting cheaper month by month. This is something that was pioneered by a little company 
that's both a product and I guess the whole company called Eero, E-E-R-O, Eero.com, but they are in very high demand. They've been able to keep the prices sky high for the Eero systems, and now many others have come in with wireless mesh systems. The way they work is normally you put in a router where the internet comes in from the cable company or the phone company into your house, and then you have a wireless router that tries as best it can to send a good signal around your house, but every 10 feet you move from that, the quality of the signal gets worse and worse and worse. What wireless mesh is is where you get these little potty kind of things, and these pods sit um, on a table or whatever, and they talk to each other, and they diagnose themselves and give you a, a great signal wherever you might be. I, I just think it's fantastic. I have tried three of these so far. And by the way, anything I try, I pay for. I don't accept any product from anybody because I have to be able to tell you how I really feel about it. And if something's no good, tell you it's no good. If somebody gives you a free product, you're likely not to be as forthcoming with how you really feel about it. So I've tried Eero. I've tried Luma, L-U-M-A. And I've tried Google Wi-Fi. All three of them are fantastic. They are tens out of tens. How often is it with an electronics item that they live up to the hype? But this kind of technology lives up to the hype. The problem, the price. But the prices will get better and better throughout the rest of this year. The Eero retails at a shockingly high $399, but it's promotionally priced a lot from online sellers, but still expensive. The Google system starts at $129, but pretty quickly gets you to $299. And you think about you go buy a router, a simple router, and you can get one that'll send out a pretty strong signal for $129 to $149. So it's still more money for these wireless mesh systems, but they totally blanket so you've got the great signal, if it is a great signal coming in from the phone monopoly or the cable monopoly. It, if it comes in well from them, it comes in well to every corner of your place. And that's really worth something because with us having monopoly internet in the United States, we pay far higher prices than people do elsewhere in the world for much slower service. So you need to be able to get as much signal as you can from the puny signal you're actually receiving. And so that's why having this technology can potentially be so helpful to you. And I'm expecting by Black Friday that you'll be able to buy these systems that'll cover a typical American home with the first digit being in the ones. 
And at that point, it's a no-brainer that you absolutely want something like Eero, Luma, Google Wi-Fi. Uh, there's another one called Orbi, but Orbi is in space orbit. It's so expensive. And there will be many others. The sweet spot's going to be, and I think we will be there at Thanksgiving, 100-something. And then you just got to do it so you have reliable Wi-Fi in your house. This, by the way, also works for you in a small business. Robert is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Robert. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Robert. But I am very disturbed by what you're about to tell me about Navient. What are they up to? Well, I've been getting upwards of six calls a day from these people. Uh, Usually they don't even leave a message. They just hang up when the answer machine kicks in. I've done a little research, and they're a student loan company, and uh, I've pulled their number off their website, and I've tried to call them, and all you get is a machine, and you can't get a human being. I, I have no idea what these people are calling me for. I've not had a student loan, don't have any kids, so that's not an issue. Um, <laughs> I'm Somehow Navient thinks that you owe them money for yeah. somebody's student loan, and they call again and again and again and again. Now, let me tell you, Robert, why right off the bat I mentioned Navient, and that's because this is a well-documented problem across the country, and Navient uh, doesn't seem to offer any method for people who are mistakenly being called to stop the phone calls from their robo-technology. So here's a couple of things you should do with Navient is I would suggest that you make a complaint about them with your congressman's local constituent service office. Okay. And if you're fired up enough, also file a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education. All right. Navient is up for a a big contract with the government where they potentially would be the only student loan collector in the United States. And there's so many problems documented with them that their bad practices need to be exposed every possible way. Sounds like a good idea. And have you tried to talk to anybody when they call you from them? Uh, usually I'm in bed asleep when they call. I work the night shift, so it, but it's gotten to the point where I've had to shut the ringer off on the phone and turn the answer machine down. hate to do it because I have elderly relatives, but... you got to get your sleep, yeah. or else so, you'll feel elderly when it's time for your next shift. <laughs> yeah, basically, so I'm not standing there going, yeah, I'm right here, run me over. <laughs> so please consider filing those complaints. And Navient, it's really interesting, in my perspective when they're interviewed by somebody in the media they are if anything hostile beyond measure that's kind of what i've determined from all the all that i've read about them there's nothing good yeah but they're very politically connected and a lot of times in uh, modern washington that's all that matters yeah it's sad isn't it (laughs) so that's why you got to make your voice heard 
think I'll be calling my Congress critter in a little bit and seeing what we can get rolling on that end and probably call the Department of Education, too. I love that. Congress critter. That one's good, Robert. Never heard that expression before. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, John. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Working hard, as always. Well, I'm glad, I guess. Are you taking time for yourself, though? Right. A little bit of time. Okay, because, you know, I get very anxious about people not taking some downtime, especially in summer. Right. And working outside, it's even worse. Uh Uh-huh. Well, how can I be of service to you? Um, You mentioned about a new update on uh, Apple saying that it's going to disconnect the phone when you're driving and leave some kind of message. Yeah, the feature um, that Apple developed is uh, simply called Do Not Disturb While Driving. Right. And so it uses... Uh, uses some kind of, uh, I don't know how they do the technology, but something where as the cell phone's pinging, it knows that you're moving. And so that's how it's able to keep you from doing anything on the phone. And this is part of the 11 update, the iOS 11. Right. So if, if there was four people in the car... And it would obviously turn all four people's phone off. And only one is driving. Right. So you want to know how the other three would not be sitting there staring into oblivion like we used to in cars? Right. And, like, so what if you left somewhere and you have a two-hour drive to the airport and you forgot your ticket so nobody can get in touch with you? You know, just a little example. There is a passenger feature on the app, so if if it tries to, to shut you down, you can click a button and say, I'm a passenger, and so it allows you, just like with Waze, if you've used Waze before, right. they allow you kind of the same option. They'd allow that same option for here. It knows that you're moving, I guess, based on Bluetooth, but then they can you can shut it down by just claiming you're a passenger. All right, so only if you're by yourself that would be a problem. Like if you were going by yourself somewhere and you forgot something or had to pick something up and you... You don't even get the message until you get there. Yeah, and so, John, I drive a lot in California, and if you even glance at your phone in California, you get a ticket. So, yeah, I've really taught myself that I pull off to the side of the road and do what I need to do on the phone. Right, and a lot of us ride motorcycles, and it's even worse when everybody's on their phones. Uh, And how in the world do you stay safe out there? I saw somebody this past weekend, guy was on a bright green uh, Japanese, you know, I could tell it was one of the Japanese motorcycles, and this guy didn't see him at all and almost took him down. Yep. Yeah, and then we always get the worst of it. So uh, what advice do you have for fellow people on the roads about motorcycles um, don't text and drive and buy a harley they're loud <laughs> but then you can't hear anything if you're the one riding the harley you get off that thing you still can't hear yeah stay away from the victories and the quiet motorcycles so you'd hate uh, these new electric motorcycles especially wouldn't you 
Well, yeah, I used to have one with it and make any noise, and people don't hear you, and they start drifting over in your lane, and so terrible. Yeah, it it, it is a terrible problem, and you know, motorcycles. The, there's you know you just don't have the protection around you and the fatality rate per mile traveled is really scary and i just hope as you're driving around that as the sticker says don't look once look twice because it's harder to see the motorcyclist as you're driving elaine is with us on the clark howard show hello elaine how you doing Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. So you want to talk Costco is where you should buy a car or not. Is that right? Right. Well, I'm in the market for a new car, and I just want to get the best deal I can get. And is that it, or is there something better? Costco's car buying program is booming. In fact, uh, they are now selling so many cars through the Costco car buying program that if they were a car dealership, They'd be the largest car dealership in America. I mean, people have really liked it. You uh, do a very simple thing at Costco.com where you put in your membership number, what vehicle you're interested in, and then there is a set price that Costco has already negotiated with the dealer. So there's no negotiation you get involved in. Right. And so is it the lowest price you'd be able to buy a car for probably not but it's probably lower than 90 percent of people are paying for that car but you're doing it with no hassle at all and costco does it where you fill in the online information and then they direct you to the dealer who you would go to buy the car at Uh sam's club their arch rival does it differently where they give you deals from three different dealers what the price for a vehicle is you'd be interested in from three different dealers and then you choose which of those you want to go buy the vehicle from so either method works great is either um sam's or costco negotiates better deals or i haven't seen a trend that one is necessarily better than the other and i think the whole idea of these car buying programs is that the power of all the members gives you the marketplace power to get a better deal. But the best part with both is there's no hassle factor at all for you. It's a simple, clean process of buying your new vehicle. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Welcome to the Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to save money to find the deals on things hopefully you want and need and not just buy because they're a deal. So there's a tough deal that parents face, and it's with electronics with their kids. And there's a doctor in Denver who is so fired up about it that he wants to actually have rules in place and get the state of Colorado where he lives that would create limits making it illegal for a preteen to own a cell phone. Now he is the father of young children and he is very upset about how kids get totally drawn into their devices and become antisocial, don't get enough sleep, and any of a number of potential psychological harms. And he feels that there's a role for the state to play that would make it illegal to sell smartphones to children under the age of 13. And the way it would be enforced is if you as a parent went in to add a kid to your cell phone plan, you would be asked the age of that child and you would be subject to sanction if you lied and said your kid was 14 who was 12 or whatever. Um, So I can tell you as a dad... There's a clear problem with the screens, and the screens can become addicting for a child. And we have faced that issue with our kids. But putting it as something that is banned for people under age 13, I don't think is the right answer. There are any of a number of things that people have tried, and we're in a very experimental time. A friend of my son has a special uh, watch that is also a cell phone that is used really only to communicate within the family. Can't use apps on or anything like that, and that's how one family is dealing with it. Others use, I was talking before about the new routers for the home many of those systems now with the app you control the routers on your smartphone you can eliminate certain items from being on the network at a certain time in other words you can curfew out your kids electronics very easily where when they try to access wi-fi on the home network they can't do it and they're shut down till hours are allowed. So as a parent, you ultimately have control. If it gets out of control with the kid, you can require that their electronics be turned in at a set time each day or control how much screen time they have per day. But I don't see it as a role of government. 
to come in and say your kid's not allowed to have. Besides, truth be told, most kids couldn't care less about being able to make a phone call. They only want to be able to be on a device like a tablet where they can do messaging or whatever because you know messaging now all the various messaging programs work without cellular anywhere there's wi-fi and wi-fi is becoming more available pretty much everywhere we go and i would say except in the car but now cars are coming out that have their own wi-fi hotspots, and so even in the car your kid would still have access So ultimately, dealing with the new technologies and the downsides they have is a parental responsibility. But I would like to say that I think the electronics have upsides as well. The kids are becoming as one with the ability to operate them. I mean, how neat is that? For me, having come of age when we didn't even have computers, I mean, I'm old, so we didn't have computers, learning to use technology is always a bit of a challenge, even as much as I like the changes in technology and the new things that come along and all the rest, they're not always the easiest for me to use. A kid from birth basically seems to know how to use the devices that surround them. And I think there are long-time employment opportunities with that. But the responsibility flows to us to make sure that these things are positives or at least neutrals and not negatives for a kid's health, mental well-being, and the rest. If your kid only wants to be on a device 24-7, there's a problem there that you got to get under control. But I would say that that certainly is not every kid, not even most kids. Carol's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Carol. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Carol. How can I be of service to you? Well, I have a situation that has arisen. I have a 27-year-old daughter who went to buy a new car in December, and I didn't think she'd qualify, but she did. So she paid top dollar for a brand new car, and since that time, purchased another car to help a friend out, a second-hand car, and is a delivery driver for a food chain, and got into, had four claims against her policy, totaling about $25,000. Oh, my goodness. Wait, wait, wait. Let me see if I have this right. She's had four claims since Christmas of last year? Since, I'm sorry, since June of last year. Oh, you may have said June, and I thought Christmas. So So a year. In a year, she's had four claims? Yes. And she's on the hook for two different cars? Yes. So the second, let me try to get this through my brain. The second car that she did as a favor to someone is she the legal owner of that one, too, and is the one who has to insure it? She is. Oh, man. So she is at a point now with four at-faults 
that she's virtually uninsurable. Right. So I'm I'm getting quotes for like eight hundred dollars down. And this is on the one car. This is on the new car. The the older car is ten years old, and insurance is three thirty a month. So four thousand dollars a year. All right. So and then the one that she has. Right. The insurance is going to be uh, is it going to be more than ten thousand a year? Well, it's going to be. It lapses, and it's going to be 800 down and 200 a month for six months. Oh, that's actually a lot less than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. That must not be for much coverage, because having had four accidents, I'm surprised, because that would mean she's with what's known as a non-standard insurer, and they're willing to write her at uh, $3,200 a year, if I followed that math right. That I, I know this sounds weird for me to say that's actually very cheap considering the circumstance. Right, right. And that is for a six-month policy. Yeah, but you said it's 200-something a month for six months, right, 800 right. down. So if you, mm-hmm. if you were to extrapolate that out over a year, it's like uh, $3,200. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's a lot of money every Absolutely. month. Absolutely. And, and on it's the hook crazy. for two car payments. All right. So I'm, tr- I'm still trying to figure out the second vehicle. Why did she do that? Because she's too nice and generous. Is somebody truly taking advantage of her? Well, he's paying some oh, he. money on the car, but I'm not sure that what he's paying is covering the expenses of it. So is this a boyfriend taking advantage of your daughter? Yes. Oh. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to help her at this point. All right. Well, there, this is so hard as a parent because yeah. there are times you need to let her deal with the chips as they've fallen, and you can't bail her out. You can advise her, but uh-huh. I think it would be a mistake for you to pony up money because it only enables her freedom to make choices that aren't the best. I mean, I can tell it was clear from right up front, you didn't want her buying that new car last year. No. Mm -mm. And she did it anyway. I I know it's hard, but I think the the car that the boyfriend's driving, she's got to sell that thing. She owns it. She's got to sell it. And the boyfriend's got to come up with a new way to get around. And if she doesn't want to take that guidance from you, or if you'd had her call me, and she doesn't want to take it from me, you've got to let her deal with the consequence of not making smart choices. Right. And, and that's kind of where we are now. She's dealing with a consequence, but she's coming to me for help. Um, so that's, that's my thought, too, is let the, let the one car go. And, you know, she got the quote for the insurance on the new car, but that doesn't make sense either because it's she's paying three thirty on a car that's ten years old, and they've quoted her, you know, basically three thirty three a month for a brand new car. It just doesn't sound right to me. Well, the, it's possible that the, that it's because the real risk to the insurer is liability, right? Okay, so, so that could account for why, even though it's much more 
uh, expensive to insure that brand new vehicle. I, I'm not there, and I haven't seen the numbers. But as hard as it is to do as a parent, you got to let her clean up these pieces. Yeah. So I, I'd say give her advice, but absolutely right now you can't give her money. Okay. And I know that's difficult. And you blame it on me. Can you do that, Carol? <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. It's hard as a parent I... to tell a kid no, even as an adult. And I think you got to tell her no and say it's all this terrible Clark's fault and have her call me and I'll tell her the same thing, but I will tell it to her in much stronger language than I've just said it to you because she needs to hear it because you don't break patterns if she doesn't hear it and feel consequences. Michael's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Michael, you want to talk about something that has been a brutally difficult thing for us as a country perhaps 60,000 people dying last year in America from opiate addictions and other overdoses yeah hi Clark so glad to speak with you thank you so much well, uh, great to have you here you are a doctor well that's right that's right I'm not um, an anesthesiologist I'm a surgeon but it, it happened to come up in conversation why so many people were dying and, and it was shared to me by one of my anesthesia colleagues that um, I think everybody well knows that the, the more and more you use narcotics, you have to use more and more to get the same effect. Um, but what isn't greatly appreciated, I think, by the user public is that the respiratory tolerance does not go along with the effect tolerance. So once you, you can reach a threshold of user tolerance, you can pass your respiratory tolerance. And uh, as a consequence, you know, you, you stop breathing. Uh, and this is what I think is happening to a lot of people who are taking higher and higher doses of this medication. And uh, they pass their respiratory tolerance, they stop breathing, and then uh, succumb to, to the, the amount of drugs they've taken in. It's just, it's such a terrible tragedy for so many families in the United yes. States. And I keep reading these stories about where you'll have a family where both a brother and a sister are both addicted, and in the worst cases, both end up dying. It's just, it just tears at my heart. Well, and I'm in from Florida. They had a recent uh, husband and wife with children in the back seat pulled off on the side of the freeway. Both parents were dead in the front, and the kids were alive in the back seat. I've seen both that parents. picture. It's chilling. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's terrible. So what would you do... Uh, you know, you're a medical professional, a surgeon. Right. You don't you don't see patients in everyday practice like a primary care doctor. But so you're both a professional, and let's right. say you're a layperson in this. What would you do about this terrible addiction problem? Well, you know, I operate three times a week and, and have to deal with post-op, you know, issues with medication, and and I, I actually recently had the opportunity to have surgery myself, and I was shocked and how much pain medicine the doctor gave me. Gave me 40 of Percocet to go home with. You know, I, I'll just share, I you know, had a uh, endoscopic cholecystectomy. I took no pain medicine. My, my feeling is you need to own the pain. You need to own your pain. And I usually tell my... Oh, my gosh, I get a call. That's okay. Uh, I, I usually tell my patients um, it's going to be painful till about 9 o'clock at night, then it'll cut off, and you have to deal with about 10% of the pain level. 
And uh, so I get by with the minimum amount of pain medication to my patient. I'm sorry, this phone's That's okay. Phone. That's okay. I mean, your, your advice for your own situation and what you would recommend for others is exactly where I am on this, and I am obviously not a medical professional. I just, at all costs, avoid taking any kind of narcotic pain relief, no matter what I've gone through, even with excruciating back pain. I'm just too afraid of the addiction consequences, and I I hope that, I don't know who we reach and who we help with this, Michael, but I think just the conversation is so important, and I appreciate so much you taking the time to call in about it. We just dealt with some pretty heavy topics on the Clark Howard Show, so we're going to lighten it up with an Ask Clark. And what's this question, Joel? Yeah, Clark, Paul wrote in. He says, your assertion that grocery prices are going down isn't 100% accurate. Packaging and quantities have been shrinking, but prices don't seem to be going down. So for an example, orange juice, a half gallon is now 59 ounces versus 64. Ice cream used to be a half gallon. Now it's 1.5 quarts. This practice starting during the recession and seems to be continuing. No doubt, 100% correct. There's product after product that the uh, consumer products people, the food companies, have kept the same size container but reduced the quantity of the item. But overall, the stats show that food prices, like for like, unit for unit, have gone down. And that's why supermarkets are in a world of hurt, but your wallet is actually happier. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for tuning in to the Clark Howard Show today. And if you're like me, you like deals, well, we got our deal diggers hard at work at ClarkDeals.com that help you save money day in and day out. We work around the clock to find the best deals for your wallet, and they're on a variety of consumer items. Check out ClarkDeals.com.